Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from thought leaders who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to address societal topics, and more importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Let's get started. The buzz today is to life. Anybody remember Fiddler on the Roof, to life, to life, l'chaim? Well, we're doing to life today. Here we go. With the average American living 20 years longer than their parents lived, and estimates that over 2 billion people will be age 60 or older by the year 2050, Chronic illness and diminished well-being are fast becoming major global public health challenges. I want to give you a second to absorb that. We're living longer, but we're going to be sicker, maybe. Not good. These challenges actually are perhaps threatening to reverse the average lifespan gains. So we might not live that long after all. Duh. The solution to aging gracefully, don't we all want that, to managing chronic diseases, please, yes, and minimizing their impacts is not cure but treatment, say my experts. But if we turn to smart technologies and data, and these are often combined in something we're now calling connected care, and it's a continuum. It combines a lot of different elements. To support our aging populations, interesting questions arise. Number one, RoboDoc. Ever heard of Robo? I know you've heard of RoboCop, but will one RoboDoc replace multiple human MDs? If that happens... What will happen to our live human doctors? What will their role be? Will they go out of business? Will they stay in business? How often will we need to see them? And maybe this is the most important question. Is connected care just for the wealthy? If you don't have an iPad, you don't have a smartphone, you don't have the right apps, you're not savvy enough to put it all together. Does that equal no health care? That would be a bad consequence. The experts speak. I have a great panel today, so I want you to listen up. Avner Halperin, CEO and co-founder of Early Sense, sent me the following quote from Melvin Kranzberg, professor of history at Case Western Reserve University, and the quote is from Kranzberg's Law. Technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. And Avner adds, adds the following comments. It is our thoughtful and ethical implementation that will help improve and save lives. Welcome, Avner Halperin. How are you? Great. Good morning, Bonnie, and thanks for having me. Thank you. Talk to me about your quote. Very interesting. Well, as you said, Melvin Kranzberg was a professor of history and the inventor of Kranzberg's Six Laws of Technology. Uh, Very interesting, and I recommend everybody read that up on that. Uh, The concept is that technology is really just a tool, and we can do great things with it, save lives, improve people's lives, or do pretty bad things, uh, and, you know, uh, use it as as a negative tool as well. When we look at the connected care world, we can use technology just to keep people alive longer and spend all of our resources on extending the life expectancy, which would probably be the wrong thing to do. Or we can use it to improve the quality of care, get people empowered to take control and ownership of their health and live longer, but also a high quality of life. So that should be our focus and what we all as a society try to do together. 
Very interesting. High quality of life. That really is the goal for all of us, isn't it, Abner? If we want to live longer, I'll give you a quick example. My mom is 98 and counting. She still lives alone. It refuses to have any help. Does her own grocery shopping. Still drives. Okay, only locally, but she still drives her Camry back and forth to the supermarket. Has no problem schlepping her packages and putting them in the car and then bringing them to the doorman in her building. Has her hair and nails done every week. Dresses like a movie star. Has bridge and mahjong games in her apartment, goes to movies in her in her facility, in her complex, and it's not an elderly complex. It's just an apartment complex. And uh, that, to me, is quality of life. She's sharp as a tack and smarter than most people I know. Would you agree that's quality of life, Abner? Absolutely. And it sounds like your mother is well ahead of the curve, because for the 10 million Americans over 65 who are li- living alone, most of them don't have such a great uh, quality of life, and they need technology to improve that. Yes, and there's the challenge, getting the older population to understand, embrace, buy, and get with the program on technology. Thank you, Abner. Good introduction. Let me welcome my second guest. He is Dr. Oliver Hefferbeck, head of Diabetes Care Germany for Roche Roche Diagnostics Germany. And he sent me the following fascinating quote. A DJ is always listening for what's next, and the, re- the source for this is Grandmaster Flash, I've never heard of him, a.k.a. somebody named Joseph Robert Sadler. That's a wow quote, Oliver. How are you, Oliver Hefferbeck? Hi, how are you? Um, uh, hello from Germany, firstly. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a totally hip-hop fan, I'm, I might have to mention, and uh, Grandmaster Flash is one of the really first DJs who... Uh, who, who did new things with records, like, you know, sc- scratching and, and uh, mixing all, all different kind of music. And um, I, I read his book about his life, and um, at the end of the book, this quote comes up. And I was like, oh, damn, I have so much in common with Grandmaster Flash, because... <laughs> Being a business leader, it seems like the same thing. You know, I have to keep my business up and running, but at the Mm -hmm. same time, while my people are running for the current business, I have to think of, so what's coming up next? Uh, what are there? What is out there? Do I have new ideas? Are there new business models I have to think of? And it's it's like a DJ. You know, the crowd is dancing to the current song and they're still mm-hmm. enjoying it. But at the same time, I have to know already does the next song really match to what's going to happen on the on 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 the dance floor at the moment? And um, therefore, I, I really felt like. Wow, I'm like a kind of DJ, and I always have to listen to the next record already, and I have to mix it in smoothly that the crowd can keep on dancing and keep on celebrating, just like I want um, the business uh, be be running uh, without any interruption and going into new business models. Thank you, Oliver. Fascinating. I looked up while you were talking. I looked up Grandmaster Flash. Let me just read a little interesting information. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five was an influential American hip-hop group formed in the South Bronx of New York City in 1978. He goes way back. Mm -hmm. And, Oliver, I will say... I've been to many discos and many dance clubs. I'm a ballroom dancer, used to go to all the clubs, and not a lot of DJs get 
that message. Not a lot of DJs keep their eye on what's happening and what the mood is and the flow. I even apprenticed with a DJ years ago when I was living in Eugene, Oregon, and he had a color system. You started with a yellow song, coated yellow, and then you warmed it up to blue and then green, and then red was a song that was going to get everybody on the dance floor, and then you went back to yellow and put a song that might let people stop get off the dance floor and drink because that's how they made their money. So that's all I really know about DJing, but I think the concept is great. Thank you, Oliver. Wonderful to have you on the show. And let me bring Thank on you. my third. Thank you for Thank having you. me. Oh, we're delighted. And let's bring on our third panelist. He's a returning guest to SAP Game Changers Radio. It's David Delaney, MD. He's the chief medical officer and head of the U.S. healthcare team at SAP. And he sent me the following quote, which is an aphorism. We're just keeping it neutral. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. I don't know who the horse is, but I'm, I think he might be thirsty after all of this conversation. David Delaney, welcome back. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, Bonnie. It's great to be back on the show. Yeah, Thank you know, you. I think there's a lot of you know interesting wisdom uh, from the ages, uh, and aphorisms become that because um, there's a, a lot of truth to it. And I think when you look at health and, and uh, maintenance of health, uh, you know, insight doesn't necessarily lead to impact. Uh, most people know they should be exercising more, eating healthier, and sleeping more. That isn't the gap. Uh, the question is really around. Uh, you know, how to uh, help influence decision by decision to create impact over time. Because when you look at chronic illness in the course, um, whether you get chronic illness or not, or if you have a chronic illness, uh, the, the, you know, the, the course at which it, it progresses or is maintained, it, it really is uh, a war and, and it's, it's either won or lost by many small battles or many small decisions along the way, right? And so really the role of connected health and the opportunity is how can we use technology in an embedded fashion uh, with people as they're living their lives to help nudge them a little bit to make a better decision by decision, um, you know, regarding uh, exercise, uh, sleep, and, and uh, you know, the various habits in their life. Because a lot of what we're asking people to do to make impact is not easy to do. It's lifestyle changes, right? And it's not new news. David, question for you. We're talking about the older population. Do they get it? Do they embrace it? I, I'm a, a boomer. I was a computer programmer in the mid to late 1970s mainframe. I love technology. I don't know a lot of people in my age group who are really into it that much. They're still carrying flip phones. OMG. They don't know how to delete all of the 5,000 people on a forward on an email. Connected care would be the last thing on their mind. Is this going to exclude the older population we're trying to serve and protect with connected care, David? What's your thought? Well, Bonnie, that's a great question, and I think it, it, it uh, you know drills down to some of the the challenges of actually making real impact. Because when you look at the spend on healthcare, uh, it's very nonlinear. Uh, the sickest ten percent are responsible for roughly seventy percent of the spend, and those are the people who have uh, typically multiple chronic illnesses and typically are older, right? And when you look at the avid adopters of technology, particularly the wearables, uh, it's not that population. They tend to be uh, quantified self-people who love to know more about themselves and, and run a little bit further, run a little bit better. But their spend is, is simply, uh, you know, very small uh, relative to it. And so the real game and the opportunity there is uh, helping prevent the occurrence of chronic illness. And so it's really prevention. Um, and, and there's great opportunity there. But in terms of the actual spend today, it's, it's within the elderly population, multiple chronic diseases. And as you said, uh, you know, the technology uh, has been slower to pick up. But I'll tell you, one of the best drivers we have, I'd say two things. Number one, um, iPads and iPhones, uh, just making a graphic user interface that's easy. And more importantly, mm -hmm. pictures of the grandkids. 
right? Ah. Uh, uh, many proud grandparents, you ask them about their grandkids, and they have a smartphone so that they can have pictures of their grandkids or FaceTime with their grandkids or message with them. And so that really has accelerated dramatically the uptake. I forget the exact number, but uh, you know, recently I saw a survey that uh, you know the the ownership of smartphones in the over 65 population is actually pretty high. So I think there's openness to it. Um, it's got to be plug and play. It's got to be simple. It's got to operate in the background. It's got to embed in their lives how they use these tools today. Because I, I think the willingness to create or uh, bend their life to adopt technologies for connect, connected care is much lower than some of the, longer, the um, younger population. Thank you, David. And you brought up an interesting point, the grandchildren's pictures. It sounds to me like there's an education component or a cultural component where the grandkids and their parents, in other words, the adult children of the boomers, say, hey, mom, hey, dad, how about doing this? It would be great because we can keep you connected to your doctor. We can help you monitor your health. And we'd love to see you be healthier and live longer with good quality of life. Do you think that would help, David? No, absolutely. And I think you hit on a great point is that, you know, even when you have an uh, elderly uh, population who is not interested or avid and they have the old flip phone, uh, you still have a great means of influence. You have friends and family. You have a social network that really um, are there around these decisions. And I, I joke and say that, you know, pretty much every family has a chief compliance officer. And in my household, <laughs> it's my wife, right, who, uh, you know, if I, if I, uh, uh, the kids say, let's go to Five Guys for a burger, and I'm all in. She might remind me that, you know, I've had a bad week and only made it to the gym twice and maybe shouldn't make that decision, right? And she has that presence in my life and the permission to say that. And, and so if we can begin to harness those friends and family um, that are in people's lives, even if they themselves don't use technology, uh, giving those in, insight to an adult child that lives multiple states away around how their blood pressure is doing or how their sleep is going or how their medication compliance is going. Uh, with one simple call, that chief compliance officer can often uh, provide more leverage multiple states away than a doctor can face-to-face. I mean, the doctor will have a very cordial visit with a patient. Uh, everyone will mm-hmm. feel good leaving the exam room. Uh, yeah, you really need to work on this. Oh, yes, I will. And they leave with the best of intent. But then they get back to life. And, again, we're back to the hard lifestyle decisions. Uh, and that's where friends and family really can have an impact. Thank you. Very, very good point. You just gave me a great tweetable moment, David. Every family has a chief compliance officer for family health. I want to say bravo to your wife. I think that's great. Somebody is keeping track of your activities and your health. That's good. We need to keep you healthy because you're important. Okay. I'm ready to go back to Abner Halperin, our first panelist, and ask you the most difficult question I'm going to ask today. Abner, what's in your cup today? What are you drinking right now? Or what do you plan to drink after the show? Talk to me. Okay, so I, uh, I'm in New York City today, which is not home for me, and I woke up at 6 a.m. because of jet lag and found myself walking to Luna 29 Cafe to get a cup of green tea with a freshly baked croissant. And walking around New York City that early in the morning with a green tea cup and a great croissant made me feel like this is something I could do for many, many years moving forward. And uh, aging here with such a croissant sounds good to me. It's such a Oh, it sounds delicious and a little bit of sinfulness in there. Croissants are wonderful. We won't talk about what's in them. Thank you very much. Dr. Oliver Hafferback calling from Germany. Where in Germany and what are you drinking? Well, actually, I'm, I'm in Mannheim, which is close to Frankfurt, and um, I'm, I'm pretty nerdy with uh, what I drink because I drink the same thing every day. And um, I, I have to talk uh, a, a little insight now. 
I'm leaving the house very early in the morning, and I cross Frankfurt, and every morning I'm in a traffic jam, and I take a smoothie with me uh, with pineapple and coconut, and that brings me down in the traffic jam every morning. And as soon as I arrive in my office, I need black tea. It's English breakfast tea with warm milk. And um, this is my start in the day in the office then, and I drink it then during the whole day, just like I have a cup in front of me right now. I always have black tea with warm milk, and it's the best thing that takes you through the whole day. I love it, but I'm curious about your smoothie. Do you use coconut milk, coconut water, coconut flecks? What do you use in that? That sounded fascinating. yeah, it, 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 it's pineapple juice and, 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 and coconut, and, you know, I'll, I'll mix it. And um, I, I also have some bananas in there, and ah. um, I'll have that every morning. And the day is not allowed to start without it. So it's, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a nerd with what I, I love eat and it. drink. I I'm always have the same stuff. Well, you're a smart people nerd. And have it, now, I don't you think that's boring at all. It. Other people say I'm boring. I, I think consistency is great, but I will tell you that between the coconut and the banana, you're getting a lot of potassium. I think uh, David Delaney will agree with that, I hope. And I think Absolutely. it sounds like you're ultra healthy. Now, Oliver, one quick comment. Are you drinking your tea from a tea bag? Um, no, it's fresh tea always. Fresh tea. The reason I ask is yeah. we've had lot, lots of guests on all of our shows from the U.K., and one of them recently informed me with great authority that the Americans don't know how to drink tea because we drink it from dusty tea bags, and that's not real tea. So I'm glad to hear that you're drinking fresh tea. You're doing great. Don't let anybody tell you you're boring or you're a nerd. I think it's great. As long as the drink is healthy, that's what we want to hear. David Delaney, I won't ask you to top these two stories, but if you want to try, Go ahead. You know, it, it's uh, I, I can top it in that I have the great luxury of calling to you from Boston today from my home office, right? So I am not on the road. It sounds like unlike the other two panelists. So, um, you know, so right there is instant win for me. But in terms of my coffee cup, um, I am uh, savoring some of the last uh, coffee I picked up. I had the opportunity to go to uh, Bogota, Colombia, end of last year, and picked up. Uh, yeah, I asked a number of folks uh, that I was staying with around what I should get, and uh, they all said Aguila Roja. It's uh, uh, the Red Eagle brand, which is what this is kind of a common coffee that uh, people drink down there. So I, I got a bunch of bags, uh, bringing it back, and I've uh, been savoring since. And I can tell you that uh, despite supply chain being global and availability of goods is kind of seamless across the world, the Colombians still keep the best coffee for themselves because it is—it's uh, amazing. And I am, uh, you know, running low and, and uh, trying to figure out how to get get some more. Oh, my goodness. Great story. Thank you very much, David. I appreciate that. And guess what? We're going to take a break in just a minute, but I have to reiterate our topic. It's MD in the palm of your hand, connected care. We're talking about being connected to your care with smart devices for everybody, but we're particularly focusing on our population that is living many decades longer than their parents, and the prediction is that over 2 billion people will reach age 60 or older by the year 2050. Think of what the population's going to look like and what they'll need in terms of health care. I think we're going to look great, actually. What can I tell you? I'm already in that category, and it's only 2015, and I'm not sure if any of my panelists are. David, are you a boomer? Or are you on the on the other edge? And I'm still in my forties. 
Still in your 40s. Okay. Well, then I'm the, I'm the resident boomer here on the show, and I'm happy to take up that role. We are today having a very special edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're previewing our newest series, very exciting, and the first show, which will debut officially tomorrow, April 30th at 10 a.m. Eastern, is called Meet the Visionary Game Changers. And as you've already heard in the opening from the quotes and the conversation, my three panelists are visionary. I'm speaking today with Abner Halperin, the CEO and co-founder of early since and when we come back Abner's going to tell us a little bit about his company speaking with De- Dr. Oliver Hafferback, head of diabetes care for Roche Diagnostics Germany and Oliver will tell us a little bit about what he does at Roche and David Delaney, chief medical officer and head of the U.S. healthcare team at SAP and David also will tell us a little bit about what he does. So I'm Bonnie D. Graham and I plan to be after the break we're going to go out for just about 90 seconds and when we come back Abner Halperin has the honor of starting off a 30 minute non-stop round table. You don't want to miss this no matter what age you are because you have family members who are going to be interested in this vital information. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world is at an inflection point where we capture more information than ever before and are more interconnected. While this has led to technological breakthroughs where new industries have been created, there are still new areas evolving where billions of people can be reached. All it takes is to unlock the transformative power of technological change to improve people's lives. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how the digital world can lead to a better future for everyone. Meet the Visionary Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Meet the Visionary Game Changers. This, again, is our special edition, the newest series in our many, many series, Meet the Visionary Game Changers. I'm so excited to launch the series today. My guests today are Abner Halperin at Early Sense, Dr. Oliver Hafferback at Roche Diagnostics Germany, and David Delaney, MD, at U.S. Healthcare Team at SAP and the Chief Medical Officer at SAP. We're ready for the roundtable. We have 30 minutes to rock it, and I've asked Abner Halperin at Early Sense to start with the following, but Abner before I read where I want to kick it off, why don't you first tell us just in a couple of sentences, what does Early Sense do, please? So Early Sense is a company that developed advanced sensors that allow uh, collecting data about patients in various environments, home, hospital, or long-term care, and analyze that data and identify any change in condition of the person or patient without putting any sensors on the body itself. Mm, interesting. And how do you do that? We have a contactless sensor in a bed or a chair that measures key vital signs like heart, breathing, and motion parameters, and advanced analytics that run locally or on the cloud and use that data to identify change versus what we learned about that person in, the, in his own history. 
Thank you. Fascinating. I've, he- I've heard about this. Just wonderful, wonderful work. Now, here's where I want to start the roundtable, Avner. You say in your notes to me, one of the main challenges of the Western world is to care for an aging population in a respectful, cost-effective, and empathetic way. And you add the key element in overcoming that challenge is to allow people to stay in as low-acuity environments as possible for as long as possible. That means minimizing their time in hospitals, minimize within hospital time in the ICU, oh, yes please, and allow aging at home. That sounds like a tall order. Abner, why don't you expand that for us, please? Sure. Um, you know, the key to keeping people out of hospitals and in hospitals out of ICU is knowing when and how to intervene, when to call a doctor, when to give a specific medication. And to do that by learning how a patient is doing, learning his or her own patterns, and identify early warning signs of anything beginning to go wrong. If you do that, if you intervene early, clinical studies show that you can dramatically reduce cost of care and dramatically reduce the need for hospitalization. So what we have been working on, as well as many others, is finding the right way to put sensors around us uh, without requiring us, us to change our lifestyles, collecting that data, analyzing it, and giving the information to the person to the chief compliance officer, as David uh, earlier defined mm-hmm. it, or to the physician at the right time. Tell me something. Um, the chief compliance officer, at what, in what stage of the process will they be contacted? Is this somebody you put on your health care proxy? Is this the person in the family who comes with the older person to a doctor visit? How do you know who that person is and if they're savvy enough to understand the data you're sending them? What's that process? Well, you know, if you took your example of your 90-year-old mother, you know, hopefully she continues to be 98. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. She continues to be independent. But at some point, you may want to get some information if something is beginning to change in her condition. If they, she is she sleeping well, is her heart performing well, and you, as the, uh, her loved one, want to keep that and get that information at the right time when something just begins to go wrong or to change from the basic uh, baseline. She will need to define you as that person, but after Mm -hmm. doing that once, uh, that information will go to you automatically via your smartphone or iPad or email and allow you to be involved in your mother's life and intervene at a point where you can really make a difference. Thank you. Great information. Dr. Oliver Haffer back at Roche Diagnostics Germany. Thoughts on what Abner just brought up, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really think he's, he's so right. I mean, there are so many people out there who need such support. And um, if we look at the HCPs, um, at least in Germany, we have less HCPs for, for more patients and we have more chronic disease coming up. And the more we can help those people live their life as unrestricted as possible, and at the same time, have somebody to look after them. And if it's analytics that gives an alarm to someone who is then able to, um, to help them, I mean, this is the best thing we can do. And this is the best way we can have technique. And um, people with chronic disease or elderly people and um, the, 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 the health environment work together um, in, in the scales we're going to see in the near future already. Thank you. David Delaney, thoughts? 
Yeah, no, I think this is part of uh, you know an important movement, uh, particularly in the U.S. Uh, we've been uh, very good at delivering uh, tons of cure and not so good at the ounces of prevention, and it's really brings to mind the uh, old uh, iconic cover of the New Yorker that had the, the New Yorker view of the world, which is uh, you know of course dominated by Manhattan, uh, a bit of Jersey, and then by the way the rest of the world as a tiny little rim, and that's really been the healthcare view, acute care hospitals dominating. Uh, heroic delivery of uh, care and, and, and saving lives at the last minute. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I was part of that for sure. I uh, practiced as an intensivist, a critical care physician for 14 years. Um, but ultimately, when you start looking back at how the person ended up in the ICU with their life hanging in the balance, it, it comes to uh, earlier decision points and moments where the whole process could likely have been averted by that proverbial ounce of prevention. And, and that's where I think things like Early Sense and the folks at, uh, at Roche they're doing to try to uh, both prevent illness or, in the case of chronic illness, to manage it such that uh, the person has the best possible course they can with as, as least impact uh, over time of the illness. And I think, I think it's just huge in that real that shift from uh, acute care to really preventive to engaging the patient uh, in their home to make better decisions and have better health and really more by prevention rather than cure. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, yes, go ahead. Abner? Yeah, David, uh, this is Oliver. Thank you for, for uh, mentioning that. I mean, it, it's, pretty, uh, it, it's pretty new for, for a healthcare company like we are to get into the, into the prevention mode and, and, and try to help people uh, not to be ill in the future. And uh, we, we had also some discussions internally here, you know, like, what are you doing there? Uh, our business is, is, is different. And um, we were really like, um, you know, getting into this mode because we are so convinced that it's so important to, to, to help people um, in their lifestyle, in the way what they eat and what they drink, but also do they move enough um, to make sure that they are protected from uh, chronic disease in the future, and that will help all of us, you know, in business life, but also in, 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 in private life. And like the example you have of your mother, I mean, isn't, isn't that just great? And isn't that something we should all try to have in, in, in the future, be that healthy to take care of ourselves? I mean, this is the dream of everybody, I guess. I, I think so. And uh, Oliver, from time to time, I'll say to my mom, hey, would you like somebody to come in once in a while, maybe cook for you, help you with the shopping? And she just looks at me, raises her eyebrows and says, why? Why do I need anybody? You've got to be kidding me. And she's just do you, almost. Do you a... think I'm old now? <laughs> Unbelievable. Is that what she's I, I think so, because most of her friends have health care aides full-time who cook and do the shopping and manage their daily needs and accompany them everywhere. And some of these are very nice people. I've, I've met some of them. They're lovely women, and they're you know hired from decent agencies. They're bonded and all that good stuff, but they're pleasant people to live with. My mom says, no way. Nobody's moving in here with me. Are you kidding? It's, it's almost comical. Actually, it is comical. I appreciate her spirit. By the way, she and I co-host a cable TV show since the year 2000 called Senior Moments, wow. The Happy Ones. And my mother is the star of the show. She charms all the guests and we've done over 235 shows together. So there. Yeah, she's wow. a real star. She, she's a legend here in New York. What can I tell you? Um, 
Avner, this was your topic, and I want to make sure if you have anything to say before I move on, because I'm ready to look at some of the notes from Oliver. Avner, any comments? Yeah, maybe just one more comment. Uh, yeah. You know, we have a lot of, we're using a lot of sensors to, to achieve that uh, prevention objective that uh, David and Oliver mentioned. We just need to make sure that we are not focused on data, but rather focused on outcomes. Data in our mind, in our company, is not interesting at all. The interesting thing is outcomes. And how do you convert data to better clinical results and better quality of life? That's what we are all working to achieve. Thank you very much. Can, can I Good. add something, yes, Edner? sure. Uh, this is Oliver again. I, I just love what you said, and I would even take it one step further. Data is important to change behavior. And at, at the end of the day, it can be the, the, the doctor's behavior by giving it a different therapy, but it also can be the patient's behavior by, you know, knowing what to do next um, in, in case of his uh, uh, or her disease. So uh, I, I'm, I, I, I can't agree more um, when, when I hear you saying, you know, data is just data, and the data helps to analyze things, but at the end of the day, it's, it's you know, something has to happen, and it's, in, in, in most times, it's behavioral change. Uh, what we are really looking for. So I was just going to, you know, just going to going to say how much I love what you're saying there. Thank yeah, you, thanks. Oliver. And Oliver, I'm ready to jump into some of your notes here. In my intro, I talked about will a robo-doc, one robo-doc, I don't even know what he or she or it would look like, sound like, feel like, and how you would get in touch with it. Maybe it's just an app. Why, if that robo-doc would replace multiple human doctors. So I want to talk about that. And I'm looking at your notes. You say the doctor's work will change completely. The patient has much more information and needs more explanation. The patient sees him or herself more like a partner. This is how he or she wants to be treated. And then you add, add the communication between patients and doctors does not only take place during the time when the patient is in the medical office, but also via the Internet everywhere. So now we have in that connected care continuum 24-7 care opportunities. Why don't you talk to us? Do you know anything about a robo-doc, Oliver? Have you seen one? Have you created one? Talk to me. No, we, have, we haven't created a robo-doc, and we wouldn't want to. I think the, 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 the personal connection between humans is most important by, you know, having good medical treatment for, for, for people. And I would never exchange a, a, a human doctor, a human person, against a robo-doc. Um, but I believe that the time where um, the patient and the doctor are really together, and in, in Germany for chronic disease, it's for, you know, in the case of diabetes, it's like they are together for 15 minutes in three months. And um, mm -hmm. the rest of the time, the patient is alone. He sometimes sees a nurse or, you know, when, when he's older, maybe there's some elderly care. But, you know, the real time with the doctor speaking about the chronic disease diabetes is about 10 to 15 minutes within three months. And I think that the solutions we can provide today with apps, with, um, you know, watches, all that stuff, that they can get in touch whenever they need it and that the doctor can see from the data and from the analyzers, this patient is running really good or this patient doesn't move enough or, you know, there, there's something I would like to tell him right now and not only in two months when he's in my office again. And this mm -hmm. is 
what I believe is the strength of the of of the new uh, of of the new possibilities we have, that the personal contact can be added, and there can be something also in there where they can get in touch, where they can write them an email or a text message or give them a call or, you know, just a vibration on the phone to tell them, why don't you move again? So this mm. is something I, w- I would never, ever say I need a robo-duck, but I would say we need the technique and the analysis and, and the new solutions we can provide to make, to make a better combination and, and to make this you know, this, this feeling between doctors and patients even, you know, even better. Thank you. David Delaney, thoughts? RoboDoc, yes, no, maybe? Yeah, you know, I think I, I fully agree, you know, regarding the need for that personal interaction. But I think, you know, the question is when it provides value. I mean, healthcare in the U.S. and, and you know, globally has largely been a uh, cottage industry, uh, you know, which is really something that you learn from uh, doctors before you and you teach to doctors after you, and it's largely based on gut and your own personal experience and intuition. And that, that model is, um, you know, I think changing out of necessity. Um, we have the ability now, we're capturing pretty much everything occurring around delivery now that electronic health records are, are broadly available and adopted. And, you know, in the past, that data had been largely like data exhaust. Once a patient was out um, discharged, uh, the record would seldom be looked at. And, and we were not taking advantage of the opportunity to learn patient by patient about how care was delivered, where it went right, where it went wrong, and how it can do better next time for the next patient. And I think that process of beginning to understand, um, codify, and create care pathways and best practices is, is well underway and in many ways can be characterized as a robodoc. If you go into something like the Minute Clinic, at uh, CVS or one of their competitors, uh, they treat a very small number of illnesses. Uh, you, you know, they, they limit themselves to that, and they're very algorithmic in their approach. It's very, very clear. So what you get in terms of treatment at one place versus the other it will be very, uh, should be identical. This is all based on algorithm. And it's part of this process of really separating when in healthcare you need the, the wetware of a, a, a smart clinician to kind of tease out an unusual situation versus something where the illness and the decision-making is well-known, well characterized, and how to be reproducible. So already at places like Minute Clinic, there is a RoboDoc essentially built into the electronic health record by virtue of decision pathways and care pathways. And those will only expand over time um, in terms of their pervasiveness. And, and, you know, what will happen, I believe, is that, uh, you know, flesh and blood clinicians uh, will, will use their, their minds really in more of a consultative and diagnostic um, uh, scenarios when what's going on is not clear, not well-defined, and doesn't fit the algorithms. But otherwise, care can and should and will be delivered in, in an evidence-based fashion. And, and that, that's, a ro- that's how I would characterize the RoboDoc. Thank you. Abner Halperin, early since. RoboDoc, yes, no, maybe. Agree or disagree with the other panelists? Yeah, I think uh, Oliver and David are right that human interaction is critical to, uh, to care. The challenge is that we cannot afford to have too much of the uh, human direct uh, doctor to phys- uh, patient interaction because we have more and more patients getting older and uh, uh, um, not a growing number, potentially even a shrinking number of physicians that have to take care of them. So what we have to do is we have to make sure through technology and through the right sensing and analytics that we, 
when there is that human interaction, it's done at the right time and has the most potential impact. And the rest of the human interaction that's required is, not, is done not by the uh, physician or by the uh, nurse, but rather by the, a family member or a loved one that can take some of that responsibility and reduce the need and the cost of uh, professional care. Thank you. I'm ready to go to a slightly different topic. I'm looking at David Delaney's notes. We've got 15 minutes left till the end of the show, and I want to make sure we get at least this one more thread in. David, let's talk about the money side. Healthcare is a business. It needs to be profitable. Otherwise, it won't survive, and maybe we won't either. I'm looking at your notes, and you said providers are largely not ready to accept either the risk or large streams of data from connected care. That's the first statement. The second is reimbursement models that support connected care Bulletproof technology and analytic capability are all necessary for this to work at scale. So where are we, David? Are our providers not on board yet? What's it going to take for them to accept and be able to analyze the data? And reimbursement models, are they going to go down or are they going to keep, keep the doctors solvent? Yeah, and I think you're spot on. Uh, you know, while people don't want to talk about healthcare being a business, um, you know, it is truly a, a mission-based business and, and no margin, no mission. Uh, your uh, typical well-run hospital, uh, you know, might only have 2 to 4% margin, uh, you know, uh, and that's a healthy one, right? So it's a pretty low-margin business. And so the challenge is anything that causes deviation or um, essentially cannibalization of, of um, services which drive revenue today is a challenge. And so... From that perspective and analyzed through that lens, when you look at uh, particularly outpatient wearables and the data they generate, uh, you know, simply just pointing it at a doctor's office or a hospital and expecting, um, you know, there someone is going to be sitting there digesting every single person's uh, step count, uh, you know, now uh, pulse being generated um, from the iWatch or the, the Apple watches. Um, you, you know, all these streams and, and trying to identify patterns or things of concern is simply just unscalable, unsustainable. So to really make this work, there needs to be robust ability to uh, process uh, these large streams of data that are inbound to identify uh, important uh, trends or anomalies within the data and then alert the appropriate person, right? So it's really largely an analytic alerting and workflow challenge that needs to be scaled up. Uh, today, the tools still aren't where they really need to be, so uh, I think where we're seeing uh, this kind of thing uh, uh, employed is where there has been alignment created in terms of, um, uh, of incentives, right? So uh, within the U.S., uh, prevention of 30-day uh, readmissions, so uh, preventable uh, readmissions and reducing those uh, has been an area of great focus because of the Medicare regulations. And, and so there is a, a lot of effort in being able to identify at-risk populations and intervene. So uh, areas like congestive heart failure or myocardial infarction, for example, um, there, there's effort there. And then similarly, there's some areas where in cardiology there's reimbursement for telemedicine and, and for monitoring. And those areas, similarly, I think we're seeing adoption. So ultimately, the, the, the great challenge to this is both economic in terms of uh, incenting and paying providers to do more uh, preventive uh, uh, care and really uh, trying to prevent um, the train coming off the track when the patient is still at home and, and relatively healthy. And then the other piece is, is having great efficiency and tools to be able to process large data streams, identify relevant information, and route it to the right person and help that person determine what the single next best action they could take 
to help um, help the patient and help prevent um, deterioration of the condition. Thank you, David. I have one quick question before I bring in Abner and Oliver to comment. And my question for you, David, is will the information, when you get information from your doctor by email, by text, whatever, well, let's focus on email, will it be encrypted? I know if I ask for any documents from my broker, they send it in an encrypted file. I have to have a special password, go in, sign in, download it. It just doesn't come in open text in an email. So since healthcare information is so personal and so important and sometimes life-changing and family-changing, will there be an encryption method or is there already? Yeah, there there is. And, and so the interesting thing is that, the, of course, the HIPAA regulations govern that in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the European regulations are actually even more stringent uh, there. And so the onus is really on the providers to encrypt the data, you know, certainly in motion when it's being transmitted out, that, that is, you know, that is standard. And if you deviate from that, uh, you know, you are, are remiss uh, and, and on the wrong side of the regulations. Um, Encryption of the data at rest when it's stored in databases. Um, I, I think that is shifting. In the past, um, you, you know, it, it had often been st- a lot of the data had been stored, not encrypted. And I think it's, sh- it's shifting the best practice to you know encrypting it at rest as well when it's stored in databases. Um, but the onus is entirely on the provider. So the interesting thing is a patient, of course, can post their entire medical record on Facebook, um, and mm-hmm. so this creates some of the challenges that patients, you know, will inbound message um, on regular email because they're comfortable with that level of risk, but the provider really can't, uh, you know, or shouldn't be messaging back uh, with email because that is not, uh, you know, encrypted, at least standard email, um, you know, uh, in motion. So, um, so yeah, I mean, the whole area of uh, data protection uh, is, is uh, big and getting bigger, certainly with some of the recent news of um, some of the breaches of very large uh, payers oh, yes. by apparent uh, you know, government actors uh, overseas, right? It's, it's a very, very high-stakes uh, area right now. Very much. Thank you for indulging my question. Abner Halper, in an early sense, any comments on reimbursement models, on, on uh, encryption and securing the information, anything that David just discussed? Love to have your input. Yeah, a comment on the encryption point. You know, we will obviously encrypt all data, and HIPAA compliance is something we all are focused on, but... As we see that, you know, uh, people are breaking in into the NSA and into the White House and any other database around in banks, we have to understand that there is risk even if the data is encrypted. Uh, so first of all, we will all have to live with some level of risk in order to uh, achieve the benefits of uh, digital health and, uh, you know, smart analytics that was, were mentioned here. And two, we want to make that data that's going from one end to the other be such data that even if it is broken into it is not, uh, you know, will not dramatically change somebody's life. So we need to think that any data we send, there is always a risk of it being uh, broken into, even if encrypted. Thank you. Oliver Hafferback, comments? Yeah, I would, I would like to comment on, on the reimbursement uh, uh, case. I mean, at least what, what we do in Germany is we're going into pilot studies together uh, with, with um, healthcare insurance companies, and, you know, we're, we're taking the risk and, and ask them, okay, we have a new prevention model here. Uh, would you like to work with, on, uh, uh, with this on this and, and uh, give it to your patients? And, um, you know, we select um, HCPs to work with them together. And then after a year being in that, in that pilot with, with a new product or with a new solution, we'll sit together and we'll find out, okay, what's there? Um, uh, it, was there a way that the patients had a um, higher quality of life? And on, at the same 
on, on, this, on, the, on the same question will be then, um, uh, did, you, did you spend less money for each patient who was in that project or in, in that pilot than uh, what you would have spent with other patients who were not? And um, even without uh, very uh, high-level clinical studies, it's in many cases pretty easy to show um, the providers that um, new solutions work pretty well for patients, but also for, for the cost side. And then they are able and willing um, to, to pay for those new solutions as well, which is not the same like reimbursement, but for the patient, it doesn't matter if it's a reimbursed uh, topic or if just the health insurance was able to, uh, to, to pay for that care. So they also have to go into new models and have to find new ways um, to treat their patients right because they have also com competition between healthcare insurances. Thank you. David, since this was your topic, anything you want to add to wrap up before we move into our predictions round? No, I think I'm all set. Okay, good. Then I'm going to circle back to Abner Halperin at Early Sense. And Abner, I'm going to give, well, we have six minutes left. I'll divide it evenly into a little less than two minutes apiece, gentlemen. And I'm going to ask you first, Abner, look into the crystal ball. And if you can fast forward this conversation, this topic, to the year 2020 or however far in the future you can see clearly, blue skies hopefully, what would we be saying? What do you predict, forecast, or project for this conversation? Let's give you 90 seconds. Go. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, 2020 is just around the corner, um, mm -hmm. and I think we're going to be having these same type of uh, discussions, but we're going to be looking at more and more advanced uh, sensing capabilities, more advanced analytics. We're going to ask ourselves, does it make sense to have sensors implanted in our body? Um, will that create a uh, psychological challenge for people to feel a little bit like robots with sensors in them? Uh, or will they see the benefits of getting immediate and uh, long, you know, valuable data and actionable uh, results from that? So that will be one thing that we will all be uh, thinking about. We will be continuing to focus on uh, balancing between the need to give uh, you know, passionate and, and compassionate care and spending a lot of money on taking care of the elderly while making sure that we keep enough budgets and enough uh, technology efforts around also the rest of the population, because otherwise we will, uh, you know, be really focused just on one part of the population and not the one that is, uh, you know, going to generate additional um, revenues and help build the economy long term. So really the, our uh, challenge will be, you know, how do we take care of the elderly population while keeping enough capabilities for the rest uh, of the people and the and, 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 uh, the young and the uh, kids and babies and so on. So, you know, we'd love to connect again in 2020 and see if any of these predictions are actually were accurate. I think it's a plan. Thank you very much. I like that. I'll invite you back, but maybe before 2020. Dr. Oliver Hefferback at Roche Diagnostics Germany. Predictions? How far in the future can you see? 90 seconds, go. Uh, thank you. So how far can I see in the future? Not that far, to tell the truth. But what I see is that really the whole environment within healthcare is going to change. It's going to change towards uh, prevention, and it's going to change towards um, using more technologies um, 
right now it's smartphones, it's going to be smartwatches, uh, it's going to be all different things that will bring people together more, much more easily. Doctors and patients, uh, family members and doctors and patients, and, you know, it's going to be a whole network of people working together um, via those devices to make sure that chronic diseases are going to be treated better and that the quality of life um, will also be better. And um, to come back to my quote, I hope that maybe even in 10 or 15 years, many more elderly people are still able to listen to hip-hop and be in a discotheque and listen to Grandmaster mm -hmm. Flash and still be able to dance and have a high quality of life dancing there. I like that, high quality of life. I'll see you in the disco, Oliver. Do you still have discos Hopefully. in Germany? I love it. Do you still have discos in Germany? Of course. You do? Boy, I think we've run yes. out of disco disco fever here in New York anyway, maybe in the city. But here on Long Island, all we have are ballroom places, and I'm a ballroom dancer. I'll, so I'll guess you also fun. have some good clubs out there. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Got to go exploring. I'll let you know. Okay, David Delaney, I saved uh, 90 seconds for you. Let's have your predictions, please. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah, you know, I think there's going to be a, a continued shift towards just pervasive capture of data. Uh, wearables are going to grow tremendously. Uh, that will fuel growth in the Internet of Things and the need to have analytics behind the scenes processing all this data and creating value from the data. Because as was said, uh, you know, data by itself is just cost. Uh, insight without impact is largely irrelevant. So uh, we're going to have to figure out how to leverage it and help influence better decisions. It needs to be pervasive, part of people's lives, uh, helping them make better decision by better decision, uh, and thereby influencing the course of their health and wellness. Uh, continued financial pressure is going to occur from uh, aging population, uh, growth in chronic illness, um, and so it's going to be even worse, uh, worsening stress financially, and that's going to just accelerate a lot of changes we're seeing in the marketplace today. So um, you know, I see tremendous consolidation in the provider space. You know, maybe not the emergence of uh, like a Lowe's and Home Depot, but at least regional powerhouses that uh, become uh, efficient in delivering care and, and uh, you know, where size and scale begin to really matter in terms of viability in the marketplace. So, uh, you know, tremendous consolidation there. And then uh, in terms of delivery of care, uh, you know, I see probably that, that we are the last generation that will have a PCP uh, that we will know and see on a regular basis. I think increasingly there's going to be a shift toward uh, really uh, more algorithmic data-driven care. Uh, you know, one set of care will be very much on prevention and, and delivery of evidence-based medicine care, which can largely be supervised by nurse practitioners and physician assistants. And then really physicians will become increasingly for those uh, challenging house-like diagnostic conundrums and, and other areas where uh, you know, there's not as uh, great of a, a, a data uh, preponderance of evidence to, to drive decision-making one way or the other. But a, a real shift in driving care to the right venue and the right person to deliver it at the best price point. Again, looping back to the economic stressors. Thank you very much. One quick question, and we have to close the show. David, are practitioners afraid that email and connected care will overwhelm them with too many trivial, I use that word advisedly, trivial emails from their patients? Quick answer, yes or no. Yes. Absolutely. Like everyone else, they want to get home and see their family and hopefully have dinner with them or see the kids before they, go, before they go to bed. And it's hard to do that today. And I think there's fear that this will worsen it. 
Thank you very much. Just a little human interest on the doctor side. Okay, I want to thank Abner Halperin from Early Sense, Dr. Oliver Hefferbeck from Roche Diagnostics Germany, Dr. David Delaney from SAP, and the people who put the show together for me, Akua Odoi, Romana Reidinger, Reno Samuel at SAP. They are the sponsors of our new series, and this show will be on tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern. There's a Just go to voiceamerica.com, click on the word business, the business channel banner, and look on Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern, and you will find the coffee cup logo with Meet the Visionary Game Changers. Thank you also to Brad and the business channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Fasten your seatbelt. Well, this is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Maybe it has sensors. Maybe it goes right to your doctor. I don't know. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Meet the Visionary Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.